politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard our liberties. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here for Thursday, June 10th. See our podcast here at Blaze Media. And we've been jumping back and forth this week between crime, illegal immigration, and COVID fascism, the vaccine poison, the mask fascism, and really, in many respects, that's a crime as well. They're both crimes. Now we understand why the political, why the political system releases so many criminals, because they themselves are criminals. So we're going to go back to crime stories today I want to get to. To make a number of points, last night I had in my own neighborhood helicopters around 11, 11.30 at night circling around. This has become a regular occurrence. Turns out a gas station was robbed. I'm sure it was a juvenile, and I'm sure he will be released and nothing will happen to him. Because, you see, the left loves gun violence. They love guns, so long as they're used by certain people with certain criminal records. As long as you assault someone with the gun, then it's okay. But if you want to go target practice, defensive shooting with it, they'll go after pistol braces and bump stocks and things that are never used in um, really in, in anything. They're never used on the streets while ignoring what's used on the streets. This is the biggest glass jaw the left has on guns and perhaps any policy issue. We could totally remake America on the gun and crime issue by pointing this out, by daring them with federal and state legislation to have massive mandatory minimums for gun felons, those that commit crimes with guns, those who are violent felons and then are caught possessing them. Pre-trial, they're all being released as well. This is the story of all of America's cities. Folks, this is what we need to do. And I'm going to demonstrate today also, you know, it's a problem in the cities, but it's going to become a problem in places that you wouldn't expect as well, making it much harder for us to do what we ultimately need to do, which is to self-separate. And by the way, one of the things we do need to do to self-separate is support today's sponsors, ExpressVPN. I was shocked to find out how much I was just giving to big tech with my own computer, allowing them to track, censor, and spy on me for so long. And I never used ExpressVPN until a couple of months ago. I was I was just so upset with myself that I never thought of it. But everything you search for, watch, or click online is tracked by big tech. That is exactly how they have so much power. That's why they're able to censor everything on crime, on race, on ivermectin and treatment of COVID. I mean, you name it, the vaccines. It all comes because we allow them to have that much power. But when I switch on ExpressVPN with my computer or my iPhone, I basically put a mask via a secure VPN server on my computer. And this mask actually works. Um, It encrypts my network to protect all my sensitive information from being compromised. Um, you could put it on up to five devices with the, their basic family uh, subscription. 
what I like most about it is how it's easy to use. It's literally just one click um, to protect all your devices. Stop handing over your data to big tech companies and their far-left enablers and government. Defend your rights with a VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash conservative. For those of you like me who don't know how to spell, that is expressvpn.com slash conservative to get three extra months free. Again, go to expressvpn.com slash conservative to stop empowering those that are destroying this country. And, you know, I am thinking of the fact that I mentioned yesterday the quote from Malcolm X that I thought was very apropos, that the media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and make the guilty innocent. And that's what we see every day with these crime stories. How the biggest dirtbags alive are exalted as Mother Teresa, like Dante Wright and George Floyd, that, that committed all sorts of atrocities. And yet so many innocent people of all backgrounds, but particularly blacks, and, and increasingly children, are shot up every day by career criminals and gun felons who are identifiable and known to law enforcement, yet an unholy alliance of dirtbag judges, dirtbag lawyers in the big cities, the prosecutors as well, and now the Department of Justice at a federal level, refusing to prosecute them on gun crimes, while then saying, we want a red flag law. I think Daniel Horowitz is kind of violent. He's a right winger. He seems to have these gun advertisements and takes his audience on a gun trip to front site nevada i don't know look at his political views i think we need to take away his guns without due process yet when it comes to people that beat people with guns carjack them have an enormous career criminal record and then are caught with felony possession they give them probation rather than incarceration and every day, 80 to 90% of the most heinous murders, rapists, and just heinous grisly crimes are committed by that very demographic. If you were to merely go through, and this is what Reagan envisioned with the Armed Career Criminal Act before they gutted it 50 million times, and even the parts that aren't gutted, DOJ won't enforce it, but if you were to go and coordinate with every local prosecutor, you could hit them all up on federal charges and take every gun felon off the streets. You will pretty much stop 80% of the violent crime in this country. That is the ultimate red flag. Someone who kind of assaults someone with a gun? No, no, that's, that's, that's fine. Let him go. Folks, I, I tell you this all the time. If I only wanted to do shows every day like today, I'm going to do it today, but you know, I want to diversify some of the issues because there's more going on. But just on crazy cases of people needlessly murdered as a result of gun felons being released, I could do this till the end of times. That is the story of our streets. I want to start first with a case in Fargo, North Dakota. Yes, Fargo, North Dakota. This perfectly exemplifies the backward strategy, strategy of obsessing with guns, but then releasing gun felons 
only to have them commit heinous murders, often without a gun. 14-year-old Jupiter Paulson. Another victim that nobody in this country will ever know. She was skateboarding to her mother's home on Friday in Fargo, North Dakota. Okay? This is not Chicago. When suddenly this random guy who is black and she is white, by the way, just pointing that out, this guy's last name is Kali, K-O-L-L-I-E, allegedly grabbed her and for 25 minutes just like grabbed her, crushed her, strangled her, and then stabbed her 25 times and she was put on life support and died a day or two later. Arthur Prince Kali was arrested. He's a homeless individual. Here's the thing. Now, first, before I get to the crime, I am almost positive Kali is a Liberian name because right away I was thinking Fargo, North Dakota, what the heck? And then I remembered Fargo is one of those areas that was dumped with African refugees. And we've talked about this before, but there is a whole problem with Liberian, Sudanese, and Congolese gangs, not necessarily Islamic, even the non-Muslim ones, you know, they're just violent as hell. Doesn't mean all of them are, but too many of them are, and they were brought in as refugees. This is a whole story. We talked about a case in New Hampshire a couple weeks ago. You have this in New Hampshire, Maine, and again, places like North Dakota. So just as an aside, I would bet anything this person was resettled as a refugee. So... A point I've made over the years is that we have the big cities that are plagued with domestic criminals, mainly black criminals. Then we have, okay, let's escape the cities, go to the you know more rural, spread out states like North Dakota. Yeah, but you know what you have there? A mixture of the illegal aliens that they bring in as farm workers and are very violent, and then refugee resettlement. And some of that also ties into the agricultural interests as well. So they really have have us covered. But anyway, guess what? This guy was on probation for an assault conviction in 2017. He assaulted a police officer. Okay, Daniel. Well, maybe he served his time. I don't know how much time he served. Probably not much. But no, he violated his probation in one of the worst ways imaginable. December 18th, last December. Okay, so, you know, six months ago. He was arrested for illegally possessing a firearm as a felon, but also discharging the firearm. I don't know if he was shooting at someone. I'm assuming he was. And possession of drugs. Now, in a sane world, you take a look at that. Right there, that's your red flag law. You want a red flag law. You have a guy who's a violent felon caught not only possessing it illegally, but discharging it. Mandatory 20 years. That's how you end crime. Instead, they focus on pistol braces and bump stocks and people like you and me. Or the legal process of obtaining a gun, which none of them go through. Instead, this man was given 18 months of supervised probation. On May 4th, I believe he was sentenced to 27 days in jail, but it was time served. So he got out right away, and exactly a month later, murders this 14-year-old girl, who, thanks to the lack of a real red flag law, 
she will remain 14 years old in the grave forever. And even after this, you know how hard it's going to be for the family to seek justice, to get justice, to even get life without parole for this guy, much less the death penalty, and even if they would get that, it wouldn't be for another 20, 30 years. Now, with all the crime we're talking about today, folks, you got to be stupid not to learn, not to only not own a gun, but to learn how to defend yourself with a firearm. That's why I partnered with our friends at constitutioncoach.com. Several times a year, we take out this audience along with other Patriots, Patriot Academy folks, to front site Nevada for the best constitutional defense course hosted anywhere in America. It's in Pahrump, Nevada. My buddy Rick Green offers the Constitution code, uh, courses at night, while during the day you train on their 550-acre facility. Um, and it is the most family-oriented but serious training. They have two-day, four-day courses, 90% off Frontside training. Frontside training is very expensive. You do it through constitutioncoach.com. It's 90% off. So that means 150 bucks for the four-day course. Again, you do have to pay for your accommodations and you know the the car rental or or hotel and ammo, but you know, this is a great vacation. The next trips are at the end of September, October, November, and I believe there's one in December. You could check them out at constitutioncoach.com. I could commit right now to being at the October 31st one, the one that begins October 31st. The other ones I don't know about yet, so if you want to meet me, that would be the date to do it, but otherwise, go when it's convenient for you. Um, Again, folks, it, it is pretty shocking how few people actually know how to defend themselves in one of these scenarios, and more than likely, more than ever, you will have to do that, as we see even in Fargo, North Dakota. So again, go to constitutioncoach.com to go register for the best intellectual and physical ammo you could ever get. So this is the story here. <clears throat> this guy, Arthur Prince Collie, probably brought in as a refugee, was a known violent criminal who was then caught discharging a gun, gets nothing. This is not New York City and Chicago. This is North Dakota. <clears throat> the jailbreak problem exists in all 50 states. And then he goes on to murder this girl with a knife. See, this is the joke about this whole thing. You focus on the gun, you're chasing your tail. You focus on the violent criminal, especially a gun felon, who is the type of guy who, if you leave him on the street, he will likely kill someone with a gun or with something else. You know what's interesting? All of the gun control is geared mainly towards ARs and and rifles. And I'm sure you've heard some of this before, but I want to reiterate this. If you use the FBI's Uniform Crime Report from 2019, there were just 364 homicides committed with rifles. That is 0.02% of that year's homicides. Over 6,000 were committed with handguns. Almost all of them are regular run-of-the-mill 9mm pistols or like 38 cal revolvers. Um, nothing cool. No special assault features and accessories or weapons of war. And aside from guns, 1,476 were committed with knives or sharp objects, like a hatchet, like we saw here. That is quadruple 
the number committed with rifles. Next time you debate your liberal friend over this, make sure they know four times as many homicides were committed with knives than with rifles, and almost twice as many, 600, were committed with body parts, beatdowns, beat, beat kicking and punching. Um, another 64 were with uh, strangulation. And 297, still more than with rifles, were committed with blunt objects like clubs and hammers. But the point is, you don't need to chase a, a hammer, a club, a knife, a gun, a rifle, a fist. You chase the people that are known to commit violent crimes and you take them off the streets. This was Reagan's vision with the Armed Career Criminal Act. He understood that the people that commit the gun and the drug crimes are the ones doing all the murders, robberies, and rapes and assaults. And he understood that if you take them off the streets, you'll solve crime. And it's the forgotten success of Reagan. People focus on the Soviet Union, the tax cuts, the regulatory cuts, but they forget that his vision led to a nationwide movement that even Democrats adopted for a time, including Joe Biden, that led to a, a generation-long 70% decline in violent crime that has now been erased with interest. Thanks to both parties joining the Dukakis-McGovern view on crime. You know, there's been a big debate recently about what to do with Reagan's legacy. Because Paul Ryan gave this whole speech and the establishment likes to retroactively wrap themselves up in Reagan's legacy, even though they have nothing to do with Reagan um, and they're an antithetical to him. So then a lot of my allies respond to that by saying, we need to forget about Reagan. And I'm all for, you know, moving on to today's issues and challenges. But I think they're both wrong. Reagan's legacy is being misrepresented. And the biggest thing is crime. The establishment has adopted the Dukakis, Mondale view on crime, even worse than what they believed. We need to embrace that. His vision was correct. Every single term at the Supreme Court, they drive a truck through the Armed Career Criminal Act. Just today, there was another case, making it much easier for a whole category of these people to be let out much easier. Where is the effort to plug those holes and to kick the courts out of those cases? When Republicans are in charge of Congress, why don't they pass laws? Why don't the Republican states dare the Democrats to get tough on guns? I'll get tough on guns. You have a gun felon that violates his probation, mandatory 10 years. Violates his probation by committing a gun crime, mandatory 20 years. How about it? Don't you want to end gun crimes? And again, it's not just gun crimes. They're committing any crime because they're freaking violent. If they don't have a gun, they'll do it with something else. That is the story of what is going on on America's streets. Let me just give you a sampling of just some of the cases I've seen just in the last 24 hours. A Bronx gang member, Alberto Ramirez, was arrested on his third gun felony charge. So again, you 
They, they want to hang people. Red flag. I think you, you look a little dangerous. Well, what about if someone commits a crime with a gun? Well, this guy, again, discharged a gun in a shooting and is a gang member. He was let go without bail. Even on his third charge in March, he was initially held on 75000 which is low. But then the acting Supreme Court Justice Dennis Boyle, he has a whole history of this. New York, New York Post has an article on this. He lowered the amount to 10000 cash. He gets out. Fast forward to this past Monday. Ramirez is accused of randomly shooting. So what they do in a, tur- a gang turf war is they'll like shoot off weapons. It's called spinning the block. It's, there's a term for it. Randomly killing a father of two, Eric Velasquez, in the Bronx. This happens every day. What happened to getting tough on guns? No, they're only going to ensure that you cannot carry a gun when you get attacked by the gun felons that these subhuman bastards release. Talk about that as a red flag law. So you have all these, particularly Asians and Jews in New York City now, and people being attacked on subways, open season on them, they cannot carry a gun. But if you're a criminal, you could absolutely carry a gun. Nothing happens to you. You don't serve a day in prison. Let's go to Minnesota and its suburbs. Minneapolis, I mean. Okay? Everyone's heard of George Floyd and Dante Wright, all the saints. But again, no one's going to ever hear of 28-year-old Todd Lauren Banks Jr. He was found dead, bleeding in the streets in Rochester. Ten gun uh, shell casings were found on the sidewalk next to him. He was shot, allegedly by two gun felons. Derek Timothy Days was released from prison this past December after serving a federal prison sentence for being a felon in possession of firearms. But I noticed that he was on on supervised release for another three years. I wonder if this was one of Trump's first step back jailbreaks. This was federal. He was in federal prison, but he has another three years on the clock. He was let out. And this other guy, Cox, uh, Nautica Cox, had a history of armed robbery and assault. Then, after that, was convicted on felony possession last September, but appears to have not served time and was put on probation. Again, you have people that have assaulted people with weapons, then they're caught violating their parole with felony possession, and they're not reincarcerated. Another Minnesota homicide victim, who no one will ever hear about, 14-year-old Damaris Hobbs Ectel. And this is a really bad story, because this, this occurred in Maplewood, which is a suburb at a graduation party. So again, this is spilling over outside of the city. And a long story short is the father, his stepfather, Keith Dawson, he didn't kill his stepson directly, but he came in and did a drive-by shooting with his stepson in the car, which prompted a retaliatory attack from another SUV there, and they shot in, and then the son was killed. Turns out, Dawson had 36 prior convictions, including, you guessed it, a drive-by shooting and several felony possessions. 
It's funny. They all commit, if you let out an arsonist, they commit arson. A rapist, they commit rape. Certainly those, because sexual offenders are just incorrigibly broken. Um, you have governors, Republican governors, almost all of them. Jesus wants second chances, and then they get 36 chances. Like, what are you talking about? Rhino dirtbags. And by the way, speaking of Dante Wright, he is the ultimate gun felon who was released. And rather than others winding up dead, he himself wound up dead, and that's what they're upset about because it's innocent people are supposed to be dead. Again, no one disagrees the female cop made a mistake, but should she be charged with murder for that when her job is to deal with it? He ran, he caused it. But the point is, Dante Wright is a saint in this country. Not only this we knew all along, that he was criminally charged with armed robbery, pointing a gun at a woman while choking her and shaking her down for money. But now there are two civil lawsuits, two, against him. One for shooting a teenager in 2019. The family is suing him, alleging that he left... uh, that teen permanently in a vegetative state. And then a second one I saw just a day ago that's just got filed for, you guessed it, a carjacking. Huh. Interesting. Let me introduce you to our next guy, Tony Hampton, a career Chicago criminal was arrested on May 1st for felony possession. He was released without the need to post any Bail. And by the way, I didn't look at his record. I'm sure he had priors to that. Three days later, he was arrested again for robbing a phone store. Yes, he had a gun. Yes, he was a red flag. And the judge got really tough on him this time. Wow, you do it again? Now he had to post 10,000 bail, which he posted. Three weeks later, you guessed it, he robbed another phone store. That, my friends, is the story of Chicago. If you merely enforce the laws against gun felons, you'd end 80% of the crime in Chicago. Let's go on. Last weekend, I'm trying to figure out where this is. It's in some, some funny part of Michigan. I never heard of it. Six-year-old Kobe Daniel. He went to retrieve his bike that he parked in front of the neighbor's home. I don't know if it was on the neighbor's lawn or not, but either way, if you have a six-year-old boy, even if he had the bike on his lawn, and then he goes and gets his bike to ride off, you don't go out and shoot him. But this guy, Ryan Linegayan, allegedly charged at the boy with a sledgehammer, but the boy was quick and like started running, So the guy took out a gun, shot him in the arm on his side, missing his heart by an inch. Sounds like a pretty bad gun crime, right? That's a pretty big red flag. Nope. The judge released him on 10,000 bond. And mind you, he's a neighbor. So now he could threaten the boy against testifying during that trial. Which is a whole nother story. People don't realize it's not just the fact that when you release all these people without bail now that we used to hold on bail, 
that now they go on to commit more crimes before you convict them on the first offense. It's that it's less likely that you're going to wind up convicting them properly to the commensurate with the degree of the charge on the first original crime because the witnesses and victims don't want to testify because they're out. And that is done, by the way, by design. Let's move on to some more cases. We talked about how, um, you know, they have us around the balls. So they get to commit crimes against humanity, the political system, that is, with COVID fascism. Then they let out all the criminals. They lock up our people. And then they bring in illegal alien criminals. Let me introduce you to Raul Alzaga. This occurred in Fontana, which is in San Bernardino County, California. Listen to this story. He is a Latin Kings gang member who I think is an illegal alien, but I, you know, DHS won't cooperate with me anymore, so they won't give me information. But whether he is or isn't, he's a Latin gangs me- mem- uh, member. I don't have his whole career history, but the way I'm going to describe him, you can imagine his priors. He's out on probation, and here's what he did. And by the way, I just want to say, these are the stories you never hear about. 100% preventable jailbreaks, preventable victims. Basically, he broke into the house of a 58-year-old wheelchair-bound woman who's paralyzed. Her legs don't work. Imagine a woman whose legs don't work, can't run to call the 911. She lives in a gated community. I guess she's alone. Alzaga allegedly came in, threw her on the floor, and raped her for four hours. Four hours. I think he had a knife. Um, he was charged with assault with rape by force, assault with a deadly weapon, burglary, sodomy, and intent to rape. Um, and again, like, even even then, he's being held on a million bail, which means he only has to post 10%, 100000 I don't know if he'll come up with it, maybe not, but it's shocking how that's a bailable offense. He violated felony parole with the worst type of rape you could ever imagine. And he still offered, like, I mean, what was it? Derek Chauvin was like $5 million or something? That's the two-tier justice system we have. And then also, and then, and then he attempted, he was going to rape another woman. He broke into another house just before that, but he was scared off. Someone chased him away. So it's, it's, there was another attempted one as well. I guess that's the attempted rape charge. That was, with a, that was, that was a separate occurrence. Separate crime, 100% preventable. And again, do you know how hard it's going to be for that family? You know, I saw a friend of mine in Congress just introduce the bill with what's his name, Hakim Jeffries. Somehow, like, making it easier to pay for court proceedings for defendants that are indigent, that are poor. They're always worried about the suspects. But you know how hard it is for families to attend judicial proceedings and the lawyers that they need to often get pay out of their own pocket? The concern is always about the criminals. And this was a conservative. Whatever. 
I won't mention his name without first talking to him, but geez, that pisses me off. Um, but anyway, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's like there's the first layer of how terrible it is, but even once they commit the most heinous crimes, often still they don't get justice if you would follow these cases. Tell me if you disagree with me. A guy who does, like, again, I don't want to get too, in, you know, in, in nitty-gritty with this, um, rape is rape, but, you know, you have cases where it's kind of like a girlfriend, and they're like, you know, she didn't really want it, but initially wanted it, and I'm not saying that's not a crime and a terrible thing, you shouldn't be charged, but then you have a level, like, you randomly grab a woman and just brutally attack her out of nowhere, and a case like this, she was paralyzed, four-hour ordeal where he did God knows what he did, did to her um, physically, emotionally, what, I mean, in my view, that guy should get the death penalty. But I will tell you, he will not get life. He will absolutely not get life for that. Not in California, for sure. What he gets, I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me if he gets sentenced to like eight years and then gets let out after three or something. Don't doubt me, this happens all the time. And again, it, 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 there's, you know... Sometimes it's also because they don't nail him on first degree. They plead down and all the ways that the defense has to get out of it. The notion that we have this over-incarceration problem is just bull. But folks, we have a two-tiered justice system in this country. If you are a criminal, particularly a black criminal, that's fine. You could rape someone with a gun, carjack them with a gun, and that is fine. I want to bring to your attention, I referenced this yesterday, the ultimate two-tier justice system. There's a man named Bryce Michael Williams. He was a college basketball player who was the ringleader of the four people convicted, which there were really many more than four, who burned down the Minneapolis police station, precinct, third precinct, last May, if you remember that, because most people don't. Right, we talk about insurrection and violence. Well, burning a police station to the ground with people initially in it is a pretty big deal, right? Earlier this week, a maggot federal judge, this is a federal judge, this is federal charges, Judge Patrick Schiltz from the U.S. District of Minnesota, sentenced Bryce Michael Williams to just 27 months in prison. They have all the surveillance video with him holding the Molotov cocktail, throwing stuff on the fire. 27 months. And Minnesota in particular has very liberal time credits, so I'm sure he'll be out in not much more than a year. The judge called him, even though the judge noted that he was a leader, not a follower, in this act. He noted that he was a good person who just made a terrible mistake and that it was, quote, easy to understand, end quote, why the killing of George Floyd had affected Williams. That is the system we live in now. As long as you do it under the guise of BLM terrorism and terrible human beings like George Floyd... You could freaking burn a police station to the ground. Get 27 months. He felt 
that this guy really, he was such a good boy, never did anything wrong. He he was the first to plead guilty, cooperated, and he's really, he pledged not to take drugs anymore and to be a good person. That's what he said. What about all the Capitol Hill protesters that were held without bail? This guy was let go with low bail initially. Held without bail for four months, held in solitary confinement, beaten. Just that alone, they have the ultimate cause of action to be released pre-trial because they're beaten in prison for doing nothing more than in the case of, what's his name, Richard Barnett, putting his feet on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Solitary confinement, four months pre-trial holding without even the possibility of posting $10 million in bail. And I guarantee you, when he gets sentenced, it will be a lot more than 27 months. Think about that. And even the other guys, Devon, DeAndre Turner, Dylan Shakespeare Robinson, and Michael Wolf, were either sentenced to three or four years, the other guys. And and if you li- and mind you, the only reason why Bryce cooperated is because he was he was caught on camera. There's nothing to not cooperate. Of course, he pled guilty. And 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 even then, if you read what Schilt said, he said that Williams' role in the violence. He was like he really tried to intimate that he should have only gotten parole. probation which is what the defense wanted but he said it warranted some prison time basically because Williams had no idea how many people may have been in the building including good police officers and those who didn't work in law enforcement when he recklessly lit the fire so the judge is basically intimating that as long if you would burn down the police station knowing there was no one in there that's okay. Or if there were only bed officers in there, it's okay. This is what we have on the bench now. This is what we have. Could you imagine that? The damage that was done. You know, they talk about, you know, the reason they're going after the Capitol Hill people is for the damage. Oh, they they committed so much damage. It's... They originally said 30 million. 30 million. But, truth be told, in one of the court cases, Julie Kelly found this. They found, they admitted it it was just um, 1.5 million was all the cost. Do you know that just the initial projections of the BLM rioting is one to two billion in insurance claims filed. None of them. Most of them have gotten deferred arrangements. They have not gotten jail time. Nothing. That is our two-tiered justice system for you. Truly, truly sadistic. DOJ worked overtime to give all the BLM people and the Antifa people time off, never served, deferred arrangements. 
And mind you, only four people were even charged with burning the police station. When you look, there should have been dozens involved. Whereas anyone who was just singing on the Capitol steps was tracked down. FBI and DOJ had a surge of agents and prosecutors assigned to this. And yet we have here, where is this? There's another case here. They they sentenced yesterday one of the Portland courthouse guys. Right? So if you remember, there were DHS agents that were sent to defend the federal courthouse that, that Antifa was attacking. This is from OregonLive.com. A Beaverton man who shined a high-powered green laser at a federal officer during a protest outside the federal courthouse was sentenced to six months of home detention. Okay? Home detention. Truly unbelievable. He's the fourth defendant to plead guilty in the federal court the attack on the federal courthouse of a total of 99 federal protest related prosecutions 50 were dismissed talk about insurrection several um federal agents were blinded for life or at least for a long time. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know what the story is because they never follow up because it's never a story. You hear about Officer Sicknick all the time who wasn't even directly killed for sure by anyone. You don't hear a word. Unbelievable. Six months home confinement. Do you know what, by the way, do you know what six months of home confinement is? That's what we call lockdown. That's what we had last year. No, really. Because, I mean, you know home confinement is not, it's not like they're literally in their house. They could go to work, they can go shopping, they can go to the doctor. Essential, essential services. I mean, and by the way, I think if they wanted to go to church, I think they can, which is something we couldn't do. It's less restrictive than lockdowns were. Whenever you hear the supervised release, home confinement, it's a complete joke. Two-tier justice system. Let me read to you one more, one more case out of many, many, many more. It's also from New York Post. A convicted child molester was set free in L.A. County three years ago, was arrested for, you get it, you guessed it, sexually abusing two more children. Jorge Vasquez. Again, you got to wonder if he's illegal was... Slapped with eight new counts of child molestation for fondling two young boys um, beginning in June 2018, less than six months after he was released by a judge who said he had a right to a speedy trial. Vasquez had been ordered released after he waited trial for 17 years, but he failed to register as a sex offender before he was busted again. Um, Basically, Vasquez pleaded no contest to, to molesting four boys, four boys in 1994, um, six and eight years old. He was sentenced to 12 years, but just six years later, prosecutors looked to have him committed indefinitely. Um, 
but Superior Court Judge James Bianco agreed to dismiss the case because of the lengthy delay. Again, I'm just reading to you a smattering of things I just find and people send to me off the cuff. You could imagine the wealth of what is actually out there on a given day. The ultimate red flags, sex offenders and gun felons are released with nothing, multiple charges. And we have these bastard Republican governors and phony conservative think tanks every day. We have an over-incarceration problem, criminal justice reform. Every one of them. I was the only guy with a byline on the right who opposed jailbreak the last seven, eight years. The only one. Truly, truly disgusting. Folks, imagine, and, and this is what we're going to push with our ConstitutionAction.com teams that we create, our Liberty Strike Force teams. We need to stiffen mandatories. We need real three strikes and you're out without loopholes. Repeat offenders, manda- you know, second timers, mandatory 20 years for violating probation. Gun felons, all this stuff. We need new laws in every state. Do you know Chicago right now has about 1,200 people charged as felon for felony possession or aggravated unlawful use of a weapon out free on ankle monitors? Imagine if federal prosecutors would work with the locals to hit them up on federal charges. But nope. The same jerk-offs at the Department of Justice that are going after you and me for red flags are ignoring those who are so obviously red, their hands are dripping with blood in plain sight. That is the power of our two-tier justice system in this country. But folks, I think you know why the feds will never go after these people. Because they hate incarceration more than they hate guns. That's the truth of it. That's the glass jaw on the gun issue Republicans refuse to punch because they bought into this de-incarceration agenda as well. The reality is the federal prison population has dropped 30% over the past eight years. And that's really going to accelerate in the coming years based on the recent policies put in place. And and by the way, that's not the rate. In absolute numbers, they dropped 30%. So with the population growing overall, the rate has gone down, let's say, closer to 40%. Unbelievable. And that's not because we have fewer criminals. We have more. This is the big lie about incarceration. You know, there's this, um, I saw this professor, Doug Berman, he has a blog, Sentencing Law and Policy. Now, he's from the other side. He, he's for de-incarceration. And he cro- quotes this Vera study. There's this Vera Institute that's into jailbreak that always pushes it. And You know, his point is like, wow, we're making progress. It's not enough for him. But he admits by citing this study 
that there was a 14% drop nationwide in the state prisons incarceration just in the first half of 2020. So just from some of the residual general jailbreak and the COVID jailbreak, the incarceration of the nation, maybe it includes federal, I think because I think this is a total number, federal, state, and local jails, 2.1 million to 1.8 million. From the fall, no, 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 it's from the fall of 2020 to the spring of 2021. Do you understand from the fall, the, in a half a year, the nationwide incarceration numbers dropped 14% in a matter of months. It doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to figure out why we're having this insane crime bubble. That's the reality. Again, this is the lowest it's been in years. Per capita, it's probably the lowest it's been since 1990, if not going back further. We've wiped out the entire baseline of that Reagan-Giuliani era. And they're celebrating it. Because again, they don't look at nor care about the crime numbers. They care about the incarceration numbers. So to them, success is putting it down. So I'm like, so I guess you could just put it down to zero and call it a day. But again, the reality is the biggest red flags are indeed the gun felons. The U.S. Sentencing Commission just recently put out a study on this, and they found that among the firearms offenders who they released, got released over a period of like 10 years in the federal system, 68% were rearrested within an eight-year follow-up period, as opposed to 46% for non-firearms felons. Also, they recidivated more quickly. Um, The median time time for re-arrest was 17 months, compared to 22 months for others. Um, And of course, a greater percentage of firearms offenders were re-arrested for serious crimes than non-firearms offenders. Of the firearms offenders who recidivated, assault was the most serious new charge for 29%. Firearms offenders have higher recidivism rates than non-firearm offenders in every criminal category as well, um, as well as every age group. If you want to know the biggest predictor of future behavior, a.k.a. a red flag, it's dealing with the gun felons, which these vermin increasingly refuse to, and they let them go. You know, it's funny. In many respects, the epidemic of crime is like the COVID epidemic, where our government took a look at a policy issue, and they did everything possible to make it worse while ignoring the things that would treat it. So in other words, mass, phony, spike protein vaccines, mRNA, gene therapies, lockdowns, did nothing, all pain, no gain, made it worse. Made it worse for COVID, made it worse for other ailments, the economy. But then, as I spoke about yesterday, they criminally censored and even 
prevented pharmacies and doctors from prescribing cheap early therapeutics that would work. And that's a similar thing to this. Your gun control, red flag laws, screwing around with rifle accessories, that's your mask, your lockdown. It actually makes it worse because, you know, you don't have a right to carry in the blue states, mag capacity bans. You're disarming the innocent people. You're actually aggravating the results of the epidemic of crime, just like they aggravated the results of the epidemic of COVID with the lockdowns. Prevented people from exercising, getting vitamin D, kept them depressed and overeating, gained a lot of weight, made them the most at risk for COVID. Very similar. And then the thing that actually works, the vitamin D, zinc, ivermectin equivalent of crime is locking up the known gun felons. Just like Dr. Peter McCullough will tell you that we could have prevented 80% of all of the COVID deaths with ivermectin and cocktails of early treatments that the government censored, we could prevent around 80% of violent crime by locking up the known gang members' gun felons that are released on parole every day and increasingly so. It's just like with the opioid crisis, the fake opioid crisis. They lock up all the pain management, harm pain patients that don't overdose, and then flood the country with illicit drugs, which is the entire problem, not the painkillers, the illicit drugs, flood the country with open borders, flood the country with criminal alien networks and sanctuary cities, de-incarcerate drug felons, same thing. Same thing, lock up the painkiller, let out the drug felon, have open borders, partner with the cartels to literally let them in. Same thing with guns, lock up the guns from innocent people that need them to protect themselves from the very gun felons that are released by these same maggot judges and politicians. This is the presentation we need from an alternative party, but this is what we're not getting from the Republican Party. This is why I need you guys to sign up for constitutionaction.com. Sign up for a Liberty Strike Force team in one of your particularly red states. If you could volunteer to serve as a team leader, team coordinator, um, or alternatively, if you're willing to be the group leader on the crime issue, pushing, working with the legislators on on tightening up statutes for pretrial release, parole, repeat violent offenders, gun felons, as well as working on elections for county judge, prosecutor, sheriff. That is probably the one of the most noble things that can and needs to be done at a grassroots level at this juncture. Again, as always, I left a lot more on the table. We're going to get back to some of our uh, COVID stories tomorrow. But folks, stay safe, but more importantly, stay informed. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.